Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today we're going verse by verse through the book of John. So turn there in your Bibles as we join Pastor Mike. Father, as we go to your word this morning, we ask that you would bless it to our hearts, and God, that you would open our eyes, our understanding, the horizons that you have in your word. And so now, as we study, may you bless these words in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember last week, up to verse 11 of John 8, it was the woman caught in adultery. The Pharisees came to Jesus, they threw the woman at his feet, and basically said, we caught the woman in the very act. The law says we should stone her, but what do you say? Testing him. Jesus, the Bible says, reached down and wrote in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote, but it says he wrote as if he did not hear them. Now, there's a lot of assumptions of what he wrote. Some people say, well, maybe he wrote the uh, uh, women that they, they had fantasized about or men or who knows what. Maybe he wrote, how did you catch her? Because it says we caught her in the very act. And according to Levitical law, you are supposed to bring the man as well. And by the way, all the ingredients that it would take to catch somebody like that in the very act shows that it was a setup. Then Jesus bent down and wrote in the sand the second time and said, he without sin cast the first stone. We don't know what Jesus wrote either time. There's no way of knowing. That's one of the great things we're going to get to learn when we get to heaven. What did Jesus write in the sand or in the dirt there in John chapter 8? What did the seven thunders utter? We get that question on every man answer. What did the seven thunders utter? And, And the Bible says God told John to seal up the words and he's not to record it. I don't know. We'll have to wait till we get there. There's a lot of things we're going to get to learn when we get there, what God was doing. But the thing is, the Bible says, beginning with the oldest first, all the Pharisees left. And still it's just the woman in him. And Jesus said, where are your accusers? And she says, there are none, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, before we go to verse 12, let's go to verse 20. Context is everything in the Bible. And so notice it says, these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no one laid their hands on him for his hour had not yet come. Literally the hour that he was to be crucified. He was invincible. We talked about that. But he spoke these words in the treasury. Why is that important? When we read verse 12, you'll find out. Let's go back and we'll pick up our story where we left off last week. Verse 12, then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in in darkness, but have light of life. Now, why is that important? Because in the treasury, they had two golden lampstands that they would light after the evening sacrifices. 
And the Bible, it's interesting, historians tell us that they would actually go dancing around in there. Now, we take lights as pretty common. You know, we flip the light, switch on the wall, and pop goes the lights. Um, but in those days, having light, and a lot of it at night, was really pretty neat. And so they found that in the treasury after the evening sacrifice. And Jesus tells them, as no doubt they would look at these important uh, um, things that would stop the darkness, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Now notice Jesus does not say, I am the church of the world. He doesn't say, I'm the building of the world. He says, I am the light of the world. And what does the light do? Now friends, this is important because, you know, when we're in Sunday school, we sing this little song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, you know, and, and we put the, you know, and then we let the light shine. Okay, what is the light about? What does it do? I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. What happens when you walk in darkness? Anybody ever done that? Your toes can find legs of chairs. You can find cracks in the ground. You can find ripples in your rug and you will fall. So when we walk in the light, we don't fall as if we were walking in the darkness. But in walking, what are we walking in then? He tells us. But have the light of what? Life. So you as a Christian will see life different than a person who does not. Why is that important? Because when you see life for what God says it is, it changes the meaning of it versus what the world says life is. Life in the world basically says this. Uh, go for the gusto. If it feels good, do it. That's the motto of the world. But God's motto is that the light of life. You are divinely put here on this earth. No one's ever been here like you ever before. No one will ever be like you when you leave. You are unique. God takes two eyes, a nose, a mouth, a couple of ears, some a little more hair than others, but God makes us all look different. Why is that? We all have an individual purpose for his kingdom. Jesus said, when we pray, pray like this. Our Father which art in heaven. God's heavenly vision for our lives. Our Father means we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. At least we should be. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we see life differently, we need to see what God wants. What does God want to accomplish in your, my, us together's life? I need to ask God. God, what do you want us to do for you? And so I believe that there is an individual call in the Christian's life. I believe there's an eternal call in the Christian's life. And I believe that there is a collective call in the believer's life. Something we can do together. Something we can never do independently from one another. Together we can do it. Now, what does he tell us here? Verse 13. The Pharisees therefore said to him, eh, hold it. Would you come up to the light that turns red? The Pharisees therefore said to him, why is this weird? Let's go back. Verse 9. And those that heard it, speaking of the Pharisees who brought the woman caught in adultery, 
being convicted in their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even unto the last, until Jesus was left alone with the woman. Now, why is that an important point? Because the chiding of the enemy never stops. Get used to it. You know, I've had people say, don't you ever get a break? Now, I wish I could stand and tell you, uh, oh, you know, you know, just drop Jesus in your pocket, sun shines, lollipops, rainbows, and everything. The problem is it doesn't happen. You, as a person of light, have a real, genuine, darkness enemy that wants to snuff out what God wants to do in your light. By the way, you know, a little light goes a long way. They say if you're ever up in the mountains and you get lost and you hear, see the planes flying overhead, they say if you have your Bic lighter, they said just you flicking your Bic. Yeah, but there's no more gas left. There's no more fire. They said just flicking that little bit of sparks they said a rescue plane can see that. It's interesting in the night sky, sometimes as the sun sets, and you go out and you look up in the sky, you'll see satellites go over. Do you realize most of those satellites are not much larger than a couple of beach balls? And yet the sun reflecting off of them, you see them thousands and thousands of miles away. It's really amazing to me what a little light does in our lives. You won't stumble. You won't catch your pinky toe on the chair in the living room. Really important. The Pharisees therefore said to him, they came back is what I'm saying. They always come back. They're boomerangs. And so they came back literally to chide with him. You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. And Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true for I know where I came from and I know where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from and where I am going. Why is that? They were in darkness. Now, God does not hold people accountable for what they don't know. God's a fair God. This is one of the questions oftentimes that is asked, well, what about somebody in a far off land in a jungle that's never heard about Jesus? How does God judge that individual? If you go to Romans 1, that will have the answer for you. There is a natural order of things in which we notice, hey, the sun comes up and goes down every day. That's pretty weird. How does that happen? The leaves on the trees that fall off in the winter and come back in the spring. There's always a, a, an order of things. And the compelling within a man's or a woman's heart would be to know who made the order of things. It is not random happenstance. It is not evolution. There has to be a creator. And even the flaw in evolution, the big bang theory, who lit the fuse? That's the problem. So again, as we've shared this many times, you don't have to put your brain in neutral as you walk into church. There is evidence for our faith in Christ. We need to be able to make good defense for those who challenge us because when they say, well, I believe lightning hit a swamp and a bunch of squiggly things happened and they grew fins and then they shed their fins, grew feet, stood up 
and here we are all today. How do you defend that? Because we know in the natural order of things, it doesn't happen. It violates every law that is established. Now, again, evolution is not a law. Evolution is a belief system in nothing. Christianity is a belief system based in something. And if I'm going to base my faith in anything, I want it in something rather than nothing. Their faith is that one day nothing happened and here we all are several billion years later. Pretty weird, huh? On the other hand, we say in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, everything reproduced after its own kind. There's a logical order to things and here we all are today. And the Bible throws in as a caveat where we're all going, which the evolutionists can't do. See, the Bible says we're all headed in this world at this time, in this space, for a one world order, one world government, one world leader that will rule over this called the Antichrist. For seven years, this Antichrist does his thing. At the end, the world is in such bad shape, Jesus comes back, saves man, and sets up a thousand-year kingdom here on this earth. Evolutionists offer no hope. They just hope that, well, you know, you'll you know, go on and get your ashes sprinkled over a nice mountain valley someplace, and well, there you are. See, we have hope. They don't. We see life different. They don't. We see life in the light of God. They are in darkness. And by the way, in darkness, you don't have hope. So, Jesus says, my testimony is true. Now he goes on and he says in verse 15, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. In fact, Jesus at this time did not come to judge people. He came to redeem people. Now friends, someday Jesus is coming back as the great judge. But at this time he came as a savior. He came as the life ring for a drowning man that has fallen overboard. Now notice he says, you judge according to the flesh. You, 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 you make your judgments after the appearance of things. And friends, that's a bad way to judge. You don't know. Have you ever done something with the right heart and had it come out all wrong? Both my hands are up. This gets back to the old saying, no good deed goes unpunished. You try to do something good, they misinterpret what you're trying to do, and then they get mad. It's like one time somebody, uh, you know, I remember my parents, we, we knew some people that were rather poor, and, and my mom offered them uh, uh, several boxes of things that we had that we were cleaning out. We didn't have a, a yard sale. We just decided to give it to this family that didn't have. Well, what happened was they got insulted saying, well, you don't think we've got good stuff and we're getting your stuff. No, no, we're just trying to bless you. No, no, no. You're, you ever had that happen, things like that? Well, judging after the appearance of things, that, that's really bad. Uh, Jesus said, when you judge, judge a righteous judgment. What's that? After the heart. You know, sometimes you don't know a person's heart. You hang around with them a little bit and find out what they're really about. That's what the Bible tells us. But the Pharisees were always quick to inflict the law upon people as quickly as possible. And as we studied last week in the book of James chapter 2, the Bible tells us that mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, we, we have to remember that. We want to be merciful. You want God to be merciful to you. I want God to be merciful to me. I, in turn, want to be merciful to others. That doesn't mean we tolerate what they're doing or we say, oh, what you're doing is okay. But we say, hey, 
I don't know what it's like to walk a mile in your shoes. A true story, church I went to in uh, Southern California right before I moved up here, and I've shared this before, but it, it's, it's so relevant to this, is this, uh, uh, this guy I know, had a, 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 his parents had a fairly large house. They, he was in some, his parents were in some kind of a thing, and they went overseas for about a year. And so he had this great big house with eight rooms. It was just him in the room. And so back in those days, if you remember in the late 60s, early 70s, a lot of hippies running around, a lot of crazy stuff going on, uh, people living in milk trucks on the beach, which I always thought was a pretty great idea, just surf every day. But that was another whole topic. But I always thought that would be really cool. But the thing is, there was a lot of stuff like that going on and a lot of homeless people and a lot of homeless girls. So pretty soon, this guy had a whole house full of girls living in his house, just people he took in off the street. Well, some elders of the church that he attended became very indignant that he had the appearance of sin. And he had all these girls living in his house. I think there was like 12 living in, in this house with him. And so one night, the elders came over to his house. On the door, he opens up and said, brother, this is an intervention. We need to talk to you. And so as they sat down, they began to explain to him about how terrible what he was that he was doing. And he looked at him and he said, I am so glad you're here. Oh God, thank you. Uh, answer to prayer because I'll send those three girls in the first bedroom home to you in your house, Elder Tom. And I'll send the other six with you, Elder Smith. And I'll send the other. And, and he went down and we don't want him in our house, they told him. So he said, so what you're telling me is you're condemning me for trying to help people. And at the same time, you're unwilling to do anything to lift the burden of these homeless girls out on the street. And the hypocrisy was so startling that it, it's where he began to realize and the elders realized that in their justice or in their judgment, they'd forgot something. Mercy. See, mercy is what fixes things. Mercy is where we can get alone with God or get along with brothers and sisters and we begin to wade through our life. And so what was the solution with this guy that he was doing? Well, as he had all these people in his house, he began to speak to them. Well, why aren't you home living with your parents? Well, my mom and me, we had a big fight and I don't want to live there anymore. And he says, well, can I call your mom and talk to her about your situation? And he directly injected himself into the problems of other people. Now, anybody that has ever done this, you know it's risky business. But you can't let those things stop you from doing what God calls you to do. The appearance was bad. The effect was wonderful. The judgment of the religious people was horrific because as Jesus said, they'll go around laying burdens on people, grievous to be born, but yet they'll not lift one finger to lighten the load. Pretty important. So Jesus said in verse 16, and yet if I do judge, my judgment is true for I'm not alone, but I am with the father who sent me. Y you see, here's the thing. When you walk in the spirit, when you walk in the light, you begin to get it. Who are we as people? Think about this. Well, I'm this. I've got this diploma on the wall and I've got this diploma on the wall 
And I have only the finest friends that are movers and shakers. And boy, do I know how to mesmerize the crowd. Or is it, God, I realize I'm a sinner saved by grace. It's because of your love in my life that I'm not a derelict on Skid Row. And so therefore, it changes the way I see myself because it gives us a taste of reality. Ministers are no greater or sometimes worse than anybody else. We're all sinners saved by grace. Remember that, friends. And the second thing is, when Jesus is saying, I have aligned my will to the Father into the point where what I do is in exact harmony with him. Again, he says, and yet I do not judge. My judgment is true. I'm not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law, the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Now this goes back, of course, to where, if you remember, Jesus began his earthly ministry. And John the Baptist baptized Jesus And we remember there was a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove came down and rested upon him. I am one who bears witness of myself and the father who sent me bears witness of me. Now verse 19, by this time, the Pharisees are outraged. You ever seen somebody really mad? The veins pop out in their neck. I've shared this before, but it's so... I, my, my cousin was, the, was the, uh, uh, the person when you walk in the door at a large car dealership. And he said that people would come in, they had bought their cars, and they had a problem. And they'd come in and their eyes was bulging out, their necks, their veins in their neck, my windshield wipers don't work. You know, like Taz, you know, the cartoon character Taz. And, and, and he told me, he said, I was ready to quit my job. He said, I couldn't take it. Every day, an endless stream of people going. And he said, you know what I did? And I said, what? And he goes, I got a, I got a four by eight mirror. And I put it behind the counter. And he said, when people would come in, they would see themselves going, and he said they looked so stupid to themselves, they stopped. (laughs) Now, I think that's smart. If any of you have a problem like that with public relations, get a mirror, put it behind the counter so people can see how ridiculous they look when they're turning bright orange and red and veins popping out of their neck. The Pharisees were outraged. Him and his father. They don't want to hear that. Verse 19. So they said to him, where is your father? That's pretty cutting. Because of course, Jesus, virgin birth. They were suggesting in this that Jesus, you are an illegitimate one. That whole story about being of a virgin, even though it fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. Um, well, where, who is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. 
These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one came and laid their hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. We talked again about this earlier and also previously about how God's divine protection is upon you. Isn't that great to know? God seals you for his purpose. We mentioned the two witnesses, streets of Jerusalem. And the Bible says when their testimony was completed, that's when they were allowed to die. But up until that point, you're here. If you're a child of God, you're under the veil of God's power and provision. Hey, that's a great place to be. Thank you for joining us on It's Time. As Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at the River Christian Fellowship com slash it's time on behalf of pastor mike and the rest of us here at the river christian fellowship thank you for listening and tune in next time for it's time <laughs>